The Dinner for Geeks podcast. Four geeks eating dinner. Opinion. Batman Begins was interminable. Screw all of you people in your backstory. Okay? <laughs> no, it's no Grease 2, I'll tell you that. I don't think she was ever hotter than in Grease 2, and I hate to say that because I'm not a musical man. Maxwell Caulfield, also never hotter than in Grease 2. <laughs> Question. Why in God's name did Kenner decide to go, you know, we just don't like the head on that solo figure. Let's redo it and make it look ridiculous. Who is Navin Jones? Story. <laughs> you don't have a gun. And you don't think you're... you're I don't think I'm responsible enough. No. Yeah, yeah. And I do have a gun, but I started thinking, I don't think I'm responsible enough. <laughs> well, it's a small gun, so I called it my holdout blaster. <laughs> If you're calling it a blaster, you're probably not responsible. <laughs> and the one time I was calling it pop pop And the one time I thought of buying another gun, it was a broom handled Mauser. Oh no, so you're <laughs> exactly. Solo's gun? Exactly. Oh wow. <laughs> and I talked to my uncle who was a gun guy. I told him what I wanted to get. He goes, Why would you Why? want that? <laughs> and I told him, he goes, Maybe you don't need a gun. <laughs> and dinner. We got seasonal food. For yeah. Uh, you got any pickles back there? No. Dinner4geeks.libsyn.com or in the Apple iTunes store under Dinner for Geeks. It's like an Easter egg you don't have to look real hard to find. Back. Hello, everyone. I am Bill Robinson, and welcome to We Believe to be episode 107 of Back to the Bins. And I am here tonight uh, with my wonderful co host, Paul Spataro. Hello. How you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. Uh, it's yeah. rare early recording for us. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, just a little bit after 10. Going to have a early night tonight. And uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, Scott couldn't join us. Uh, he had some prior commitments, but we are going to plug on and plug away. Yeah, Scott made up some bogus excuse <laughs> and then starts to try and... Uh, Pump us up. Oh, but I trust you guys to do a good job. Yeah. Oh, that 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 was quite the stroking. Yeah. My my ego is fully erect. That was <clears> the, <throat> that was the please don't yell at me. I'll say nice things about you. That's <laughs> ah, okay. We love you, man. That's why we're here for you. We got your back. Is I that? Mean, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I, whatever. So it's just stroking him right back. In other words. <laughs> hey, I'm. I'm I'm the newbie, so I gotta suck up. You know, you, you guys could can me in a second. Yeah, I have all this power. <laughs> you you are the senior podcaster tonight. Wow, that's scary. I don't See, know. Well, you know, I just don't like being senior anything. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. You brought that up, not me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna do some podcasting tonight. I gotta go get my kidney flush with Stan Lee. I was just uh, just watching uh, what's called The Big Bang Theory with my son, and they showed the Stan Lee episode again. Oh, it just cracks me up. Well, I think we're gonna we're gonna jump into the mailbox. We haven't uh, 
we we skipped that last week because we'd had the big email uh, episode prior and got caught up. So I'm going to go ahead and take the first one, and that is from not spam. Back to the bins, Jason Trenner. And this is commenting on our uh, Star Trek episode we did. It says, hey guys, your friendly neighborhood Transformer fanatic here. Gold key Star Trek, that oddity of Star Trek that never gets mentioned or used anywhere in Trektum, with good reason. And already off the bat, it has McCoy acting wrong. Ah, the treaty the Organians put between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. A far superior way we see the Klingons trying to bend that treaty is in the IDW Star Trek work of John Byrne involving the alliance between the Klingons and Romulans as being the basic point of said alliance. The Organians respond to that was, hmm, nice try, but no. See, now that's got me kind of interested to uh, to read those because I've, I've kind of looked at it, but I haven't really dove into it and started to really read it. Have you uh, checked any of that out? No, no, I haven't. Sounds interesting, though. Yeah, because I know Burn, I, and I know we've talked about it a few times that Burns done a lot of uh, stuff with IDW, uh, the uh, assi- <clears throat> Assignment Earth, and I think he did a couple Alien Spotlights, and then he had he did the, the Leonard McCoy one also. Yeah, and then and um, and I've been distracted by my youngest daughter walking into the garage. Good night, Sarah. Good night. Okay, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> and now the cat's coming in. Great. No. <laughs> Maybe we'll hear a guest appearance by Alvin, my cat, if he gets over here. It looks like he went away. Anyway, uh, so where were we? Yes. Um, yeah, because he did the Leonard McCoy, the crew, um, and one that tracks the career of uh, the female number one from the Menagerie. And that, that seems like it could be really interesting. It seems like there's a whole ton of material that could be mined with her because she mm-hmm. you know considering she was only in one episode i i thought she was shown to be kind of a you know a two-dimensional or three-dimensional character not not just a you know sometimes in in tv shows of that era they didn't really give much depth to some of the characters and she seemed to be really primed for a lot mm-hmm. so well, i, I- i guess plus ha- having a you know i don't know if back then she had a thing with gene roddenberry uh, Mountain Barrett, you know, but of course mm-hmm. later she would be his wife. So I don't know if the, he wrote that for her, maybe in mind. Not sure. But I have read some of the first part of that series, and it and it does go, it goes way back before the Menagerie and the Cage, and doves and really goes into her career on other ships prior to that, and and other missions. It's pretty good. So let's see. Let me get back to the email. Ah, here we go. And we have Harry Mudd conning the Klingons and with shitty dilithium, no less. <laughs> Funny you brought up Roger C. Camels? Carmel. I think it's. Oh, okay. I guess he forgot the R because it's Camels. Maybe he's Joe Camel from the cigarettes. Anyway. Uh, Funny you brought up Roger C. Carmichael's. Uh, Car- Carmel. Thank you. Carmel. <laughs> Next sentence. Like the flavor, Carmel. I hate Carmel. <laughs> Actor and flavor. What did he do to you? I don't know. It just, I, I, I just didn't get, 
you know, just like you guys have said before, you know, it's like, oh, man, it's a Harry Mudd episode. I don't like the ones with all the, uh, I, I really don't like Mudd's women. I do like the one with all the twins. That was fun. Yes, yeah, I, I kind of like the Harry Mudd episodes. I don't know. I don't Scott, know. It was, always, it was always the slow one when it came on. It's like, oh. I mean, the best part of the one where they're trapped on a planet with all, all, all the other uh, androids is when they do the fake explosion and it just blows you know it blows their minds the, there, there was no explosion we don't understand explain explain and they're fried so anyway i mentioned on a podcast i did a transformers the movie as that ended most of the third season of that cartoon he voiced one of the characters in it his aforementioned and the episode death is why he stopped oh okay why he stopped voicing cyclonus hmm as for the DC annual, the end of the five-year mission with the the motion picture uniforms, William Decker, a trip of Talos Four, and Koloff fighting Kirk. Good times. <laughs> JJ, get in here. Stop fighting Captain Kirk. <clears throat> oh, wrong good times. Star Trek Voyager Splashdown, number one, is a comic I haven't yet read, and a surprise pick given I figured you'd go with the early voyages or the Star Trek Unlimited issues. But it is a good surprise. Um, as for the tale itself, it was an interesting one, though I'm sure mm, Starfleet debriefs debris, would have a field day with Janeway's actions. He always does. I'm glad that the comic had so much of what you like, Scott, and that you enjoyed it. As for Voyager, eh... I'm more or less neutral to it. I really liked the Doctor and how he grew as a character, and the premise was interesting. However, the writers pretty much wasted a lot of what they could have done with the ship, unable to go to a starbase and get replacement crew and shuttlecraft and the tensions between the Maquis and Starfleet crew members. Of course, of course, read Badlands Novel 2, and you could see the premise Voyager could have had along with the inner workings of Chakotay's crew and what they were doing, and both were also extremely interesting to me. Not sure if it'll be quite to your taste, Scott, but I think you'd at least admit it was interesting. The DS9 section that is the finale for the book is is the finale for the book, and and part two series is okay. And as SF Debris, as shown with his Star Trek reviews, Neelix is pretty much useless. Beyond some help as a local guide early on, anything else he says as an expert, <laughs> he's an expert on, is a lie or sucks horribly at. Yeah, that, that kind of blew up a few times in the series. Uh, personally, I think the Doctor was the breakout character of Voyager, but Tuvok was interesting as well. Uh, the only issue with him wasn't really related to him. It was that the writers for the show couldn't do simple math to see what his daughter, what year his daughter would have been born, would what his daughter would be born would turn out to be seven years after the ship got stranded in a Delta Quadrant. Not expecting them to make the warp drive and such hard science, but geez, man, if it takes all, if all it takes is a damn calculator to figure out the year, something would be, yeah, well, that kind of bugs. And for species, whatever, I just call them the name they used for themselves in the Star Trek Online game, the Undyne. Well, that was a fun episode, like always, and I can't see what and I 
and I can't wait to see what comes out of the bins next. So, wow, that was a lot to chew on. Voyager. Uh, I think we pretty much covered that when we were talking about it. Yeah, I mean, but I, I, I disagree a little bit with yeah, I, I do think the Doctor was a kind of a breakout character, and more so than uh, Tuvok. But I also thought the show didn't really take off until they added Seven of Nine. So she really was the breakout character because she was interesting being a former Borg, and she was hot. Well, yeah, and she was also uh, screwing around with one of the showrunners. Was it Fuller or Braga? I, I think Braga. Yeah. So, but, oh yeah, I had no no problem with seven of nine, and I I do think the doc I think the doctor got more interesting once they finally wrote in a way to get him off of out of sick bay. Yeah, and and then even more so when they found out when he found out what happened to his uh, um all the other EMHs back um in our quadrant um how they basically were all turned into slave labor. Did you right, see that? Right. Yes, yeah, I yeah. did. I forgot about that. That was they kind of all, a cool storyline. But they were also like more even like like he had kind of learned a bit of humanity over his time, whereas they were still like the original more arrogant. A, right? a, exactly. Yes, yes, because he had been running nonstop and they weren't designed to run nonstop. So basically the whole thing they were saying was that you know, he gained more of a, a, a consciousness about himself. You know, he became self-aware. Um, you know, there was a whole big thing on that about hologram rights, and I think they, they found, I, I could have swore there was an episode where they came across a whole race of ho- holographic people, you know, and it brought in that whole question, you know, do holograms have rights, et cetera, et cetera. And then when they made made contact back with the, with the Alpha Quadrant, right? We're in the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then he was trying to fight for, he was trying to get all his other versions freed out of, you know, because they were, he was, all his other copies were uh, miners, basically. They had just been relegated and pulled off the ships, and they were now doing menial tasks. And, you know, he was very dejected by that. So, I guess, uh, you know, I, I think that was part of the, uh, I don't know, it's like every, car- every uh, means that they created to do a job would eventually develop some sort of consciousness <laughs> and would have to be treated as a new species. And, and just like, you know, okay. It, it, they even, I mean, they did the episode recently on Star Trek Monthly Monday with, uh, what's his name, Moriarty, where he gains consciousness or sentience. Yeah. And, but, but then they just, you know, yeah, we'll just stick him back in the computer. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but that bites him in the butt late, later down the road. Yes, when, in, in uh, an excellent episode. Yeah, but but what do they do again? They trick him again at the end of that because basically they made him think he left. They put him like back inside another uh, – well, Picard called it, well, yes, this is a self-contained u- universe that he can explore to his heart's content. So basically you fooled him and stuck him back in a box. And, and if you- he's really Moriarty and as intelligent as Moriarty is mm-hmm. to be, he you know in theory he would figure that out after a while. Yeah, and and figure out a way out again. Yeah, well, I mean, but but I think that was the whole point of putting him in the box. They were able to separate him from the ship's computer, and yeah, let's just dump him out the airlock. Gone. Did they dump him? I thought they just had him. No, no, no. I was, I, no, I was. That, that was uh, the little. That was a little. That was sarcasm on on my part. Should have just thrown him into the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Number one. 
fly by that sun. Oh, <laughs> he really Picard is sounding so much like Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, I know. We're, I'm I'm slipping. Trebek. Trebek. <laughs> Riker. Riker. I don't know why, but the email I have from Jason is a different email. What? You have? I thought we only had two. Yeah, I thought so too. And I don't know. Maybe we read this one already. Uh, the one I have is dated March 16th. I don't have one for March 16th. When is what is that one dated? How can you have one that I don't? I don't know. How odd. Ooh. This have... one he's talking about the Avengers and Avengers yeah. West Coast. Yeah, we read that with Scott. We did read that. Okay. That's mm. my my short-term memory acting up again. Read it once, you'll read it twice, Mr. Short-term memory. That's all my that, that's all my singing for tonight. I promise. But our second email, just to just stay with me for a moment, is not spam. Back to the bins 101. Yeah. Okay, so we do have the same same one for that, and that's from our buddy Luke Giaconetti. And Luke says, "Hey guys, hope you're still in need of emails. Yes, in fact we are. This is because we only have two today." Because you know I do so love to write emails to podcasts. I have a few notes in regard to Jason Trenner's email. <laughs> Jason mentioned the Peter Tomasi post-Batman RIP, RIP excuse me, Outsiders being a gestalt of Batman. This was a great concept and a book I very much enjoyed. The idea was that each member brought an aspect of Batman to the team. The breakdown was as such. Geoforce, leadership skills. Katana, fighting skills. In the return of Bruce Wayne's story, he put over Katana as the only member of his extended entourage whose combat skills he was legitimately threatened by. Black, Black Lightning, desire to improve the world. Halo, the Robin. Metamorpho, the utility belt. <laughs> the Creeper, fear factor. And Owlman, detective skills. I love the book, but of course, everyone on the internet hates the outsiders due to contractual obligation. So there you go. Also, regarding Angel and the Ape, I would also recommend the very cool Angel and the Ape strip, which is currently running in the incredibly awesome Joe Kubert Presents from DC. I haven't read any issues of that, so I can't say for sure. But uh, I, you know, I've, he- I've heard people give, say uh, good things about that book. Hmm. Have you guys ever actually read Arak, Son of Thunder? It's actually a really neat alternate history sword and sorcery book. Criticizing an SNS book when you don't like SNS books is strange. That's like scolding your cat because she's not a dog. Well, I happen to like dogs more than cats. That's why I wouldn't have a cat. And that's why I don't have SNS books. So, there. That's not... I didn't know that that was an alternate history SNS book. I, I have nothing against sword and sorcery books. In fact, one of my uh, some uh, of my best friends are sword and sorcery. <laughs> <laughs> my mom actually, when I was younger, um, she actually collected uh, the twelve issue Amethyst Princess of the Gem World series when I was collecting comics, and she found it, you know interesting so that was a kind of a you know that got me into maybe some sword and sorcery books but uh and i think like i read arion which is you know magic 
sword sorcery. That's like uh, I, Atlantis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He was like that's way back in Atlantis's hit. It's a DC book, and it you know I think it was pre-crisis maybe or just after crisis. When when I was reading that now, Eric is that DC? Yes. Okay, I'll have to check that out. My uh, my sword and sorcery book that I really enjoyed was when they did Sword of the Atom. And mm. he, he shrunk down to like a microverse type world, and uh, had a whole sword and sorcery adventure. It started as a mini series, and then I think they did a couple of more issues of it. Well, plus they had that relaunch of the Avengers where they were in Avalon, uh, Avalon where mm-hmm. they were all had um, King Arthur counterparts, kind of. I don't. That think was, I- uh, Oh yeah, I do re- kind of remember that. Yeah, that was the was not the Busiek Perez run. Yes, that was a, a small portion of it, but yeah, yeah, I, I think that kicked it off, and it was actually uh, it had something to do with Wanda's power as usual. That's because was she it was already going crazy by then? It was the chaos magic? <laughs> <laughs> Paul talked about an issue of the Defenders, one of those Bronze Age Marvel books that I have always thought sounded so cool but have never gotten around to reading. I do like Sal Buscema's work on the Defenders that I have read, so I'm right there with Scott on the art. My pal Adam is a huge Doc Strange fan, and I'm pretty sure he has a full run of every incarnation of the Defenders, so I'll have to bug him to let me read him at some point. I have heard great things about Steve Gerber's run on this title, and I am a big fan of his work in general. Marvel recently posthumously published a previously unreleased Man-Thing story of his, which was one of the trippiest, craziest stories I've read in years. I saw the artwork from that story. I didn't read it, but uh, I didn't like what I saw in the artwork, and that kind of turned me off to it. So Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I would want to read it, although I, I, I am a fan of Steve Gerber's trippy work, so I may have to give that a shot. Thanks, and keep up the good work, fellas. Luke. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate your email. Mr. Giaconetti. Mr. Giaconetti. (laughs) Mr. Giaconetti is uh, apparently, not apparently, he's an encyclopedia of knowledge on all sorts of subjects and always amazes me with how much he knows about virtually everything. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard him on many a podcast. And uh, just uh, the one, the one show I did with him was the uh, James Bond show. And, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. He was just bowling me over with his, uh, with his knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we, we still, eventually, we'll do part two to that show when we can all line up our schedules. Yeah, because you've got to. I think you guys left off at Roger Moore. Yes, yeah, so we got to pick up with uh, Timothy Dalton and go into P.S. Brosnan, and now we've got three Daniel Craig movies to do. Mm. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it when we can get together for it. Did you guys do the spoof in that? The uh, uh, Royale? The, yeah. No. No. That's, ah. I, I, I don't think I've ever sat through that from beginning to end. I haven't either. I usually catch bits, bits and pieces of it. I've never watched the whole thing all the way through either. And I, I can't say I've ever really had a desire to catch it all the way through just from what I have seen. <laughs> yeah. So are we ready right. to get into our books? Yes, uh, I believe you are up first. I have the Marvel today, and I have chosen Marvel Team-Up number two. Now, on first blush, that would be a really cool book with Spider-Man and the Human Torch, except I picked Marvel Team-Up number two, 
Volume 2 from October of 1997. It's got a $1.99 cover price, and it features Spider-Man and Hercules. story is written by Tom Payer. I believe it could be Payer. Uh, breakdowns and the cover are by Pat Olive, Olaf. Finishes by Al Milgram. Lettering by Bill Oakley. Color by Tom Smith. It's edited by Tom Brevoort. And the editor-in-chief was Bob Harris. Title of the episode is Grease is the Word. <laughs> Our story opens with a close-up of J. Jonah Jameson yelling at Peter Parker that the Daily Bugle isn't going to pay for him to travel to Greece based on an anonymous tip that millions will die. So, because Peter has gotten this anonymous tip, uh, he has to figure out a way to get there. And he thinks about how he can't ask the FF or the Avengers for their help. So, based upon that, I'm guessing October of 1997 was smack in the middle of uh, Heroes Reborn when they were not available. Mm. He has an idea, and we cut away from him at that point, and we cut to the Plaza Hotel, where we see Hercules and an entourage of men and women in a room. They're watching Xena, Warrior Princess, and the staff of the hotel is bringing in this impossibly large feast for which he's giving them gold coins for their efforts. Uh, the broadcast on TV is interrupted by a news report, and they show webbing between the Twin Towers, and the, which is, I guess, what was shown in the uh, the original commercial for the first Spider-Man movie before they had to... Yeah, yeah, pretty much. ...the Trade Center tragedies. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think I see, was it the commercial or was it like the original movie poster? I don't know if it was the poster or the trailer or the commercial, mm-hmm. but I, I've never seen it, but I've always heard reports about it, and uh, I know that they had to get rid of it because of the uh, bombing. Yeah, but in in the webbing between the twin towers is the words or are the words Herc is a wuss, and Hercules smashes the TV and clears the room. Meanwhile, Spider-Man is at the Trade Center in a web hammock, hanging out, and Hercules comes up. Spider-Man looks kind of like Deadpool because he doesn't have webbing, and even though it's a close-up of his face, and he asks Hercules for what he calls a big favor. We next cut to Greece, or more specifically Crete, where we see a man who is described as faithfully devoted to alcohol and sitcoms, two of my favorite pastimes. No problem there. Yeah. We see a silhouette of the mythological Medusa, not the inhuman, and the man turns to stone. We cut back to Spider-Man and Hercules on some sort of flying chariot. They arrive in Greece and then come to the realization that they don't actually know where the threat is. Nice work traveling to Greece (laughs) and not figuring it out till you get there. Hercules suggests that they go to a local drinking establishment. Mm. So now we cut to a guy who looks like Zeus and he calls himself Dr. Zeus. At this point, I would, if I did sing, I would sing the Dr. Zeus song from the uh, from the Simpsons version of Planet of the Apes with Dr. Zeus. He's talking to Medusa about her victim, and he says he was already made of stone. Television's gaze did that to him long ago. Hey, <laughs> a little hey, bit watch of heavy-handed it. writing there, a little preachy. He bemoans the fact that culture has become less sophisticated and says that Medusa will revive the myth and magic of ancient Greece. We see that he has a menagerie with a harpy, a Cerberus, Cerberus, a Sphinx, and a Minotaur, and he releases them to get the public's attention. 
Then we see a telecommunication report from a young man to a figure whose face we don't see, but I was thinking it was Dr. Zeus. I don't know, maybe if there's a longer overreaching story that it's a different character. But he says that Spider-Man and a big man are in a cafe, and the guy who's receiving the report says he can manipulate Spider-Man with his messages. Well, bully for you. Mm. We cut back to the cafe where Hercules is wrestling with at least 10 men at once, and he starts making out with a waitress. And then the young man who made that earlier telecommunication report rushes into the cafe and says that there are monsters in the street. Spider-Man and Hercules go right into action, and Her- Hercules grabs the Cerberus by the tail and swings it, saying he's done it with the real Cerberus. Spider-Man is checking on a victim when he gets blindsided by the harpy. He's pretty loopy after that, and Hercules uses Spider-Man's web shooter to shoot a line and then swings up himself, calling himself Thy Friendly Neighborhood Hercules, and he <laughs> kicks the harpy in the face. Ooh. Then we cut back to Dr. Zeus. Oh, no, excuse me. Don't We don't cut back to Dr. Zeus, my error. We see a TV report of the battle, and Dr. Zeus cuts into the TV report and is ready to unveil Medusa when the Sphinx returns to his lair and distracts him. Hercules and Spider-Man burst in, and Spider-Man realizes what's going on, and he webs over the TV camera before Medusa can lift her veil and turn the viewing audience to stone. Dr. Zeus says, no one foils Zeus and lives, which pisses Hercules off. And he says the now cliched line, Zeus is my father, you, sir, are no Zeus. Dr. Zeus comes to the realization that this is the real Hercules, and he's upset that he displeased him. And in an apparent moment of repenting, he looks in Medusa's eyes and turns to stone. We cut back to the cafe where Hercules is having a flag and a veil. Spider-Man asks, asks him if Zeus had a point, but Hercules points to a young waitress and says that old things are overrated. And then we end with Spider-Man realizing that Hercules has no plans to leave Greece for about another month. And I guess he's wondering how the heck he's going to get back to New York. Yeah. A month I, or I so? I never read this issue before. And now that I've read it, I understand why I hadn't, because it was not good. I don't think it really has any redeeming values. The story is just full of coincidences and plans that make no sense. The artwork is pedestrian. This is just not a good book. I do not recommend it to anybody. The only thing I like about this right now is when I read a book with Hercules in it, and this one fits the bill, I just picture the voice of Aquaman from uh, Batman, no. Brave and the Bold. Yes, yeah. Because I think that's more Hercules than it is Aquaman. Mm-hmm. But other yeah, than that, this had nothing going for it for me. Yeah, this is the first time I've I've seen this as well. I mean, you know, this is... Yeah, yeah, you're right. The art's just kind of there. I mean, it tells a story, but not really a, a great one. You know, I mean, yeah, it is a little preachy. You know, with the with the TV and the alcohol and sitcoms. It's I mean, almost like they're trying to alienate their own audience. <laughs> I, I don't like to me. This 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 book seems like it's it is the like the. The typical book for when people talk about the excesses of the 90s and when people do complain about the 90s, to me, this is the kind of book they're complaining about. Just a book that's thrown out there for no real reason. It doesn't even tell a good story. Uh, You know, why are they trying to manipulate Spider-Man to come to Greece? Why are they 
you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. But does that even get answered? No. So the little kid was talking to Dr. Zeus's, Dr. Zeus's, Dr. Zeus's, Dr. Zeus's. I, I have no idea. It's just, huh. like I said, it's poorly executed. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, did you buy, did you read it? Did you read ahead to the next one by any chance? No, I just read this one to prep for the show. Oh, okay. But you know, we've, we've had a couple of books lately where I've said, Reading this book made me want to read the next book. And it doesn't do it. That about this one. This yeah. Gave me no no reason to want to read the next one. And you know, you had a you had a good chance you could have sung uh, "Turn to Stone" by ELO anywhere in that book. I don't <laughs> I don't have a, enough of a soprano type voice for that. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't have any enough of a voice for any song really. Ah. Don't sell yourself short. Yeah, oh, you're quite a slouch. Hey, <laughs> isn't that a Caddyshack? No. <laughs> Doctors are great golfer, and I'm no slouch myself. Don't sell yourself. You're so short. You're quite a slouch. <laughs> yeah, this is a. Uh, yeah, I got nothing for this other than you know. I mean, Herc is always Herc. He's written somewhat well. He's always loud and Bobette bombastic you know uh you know come the the ouzo is on me uh that's a that's a nice nice drink over in crete i've actually uh you know here i go i'm i'm going to talk about myself for a second i've actually been to crete when i was in the navy i got to visit here um there uh ouzo when you were there uh a little bit yeah they didn't want us to um drink too much of it because I and I, I might be wrong, but I swear it's a derivative of opium or some other type of illegal drug that if you get too much in your system you will pop positive, especially with the real stuff over there. So they wanted us to stay away from that. So of course that's the first thing you go for. <laughs> They're like, okay, when we pull in the port you go here, you can go here, here, here and here and not here, here, here and here. And we were like, okay, what was that last one? Let me write that down. All right, okay, gotta go here. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, oh, man, had one of the best uh, gyros, or gyros, as we call them here in America. Oh, man, it was delicious. I was I was belching the uh, the the cucumber sauce all day. Oh, man, i got to eat another one. <laughs> good food, good food. It was tough to make a phone call, but it had good food. Topless beaches. What? Oh, well, I was there in the winter. I didn't see any of that. I don't know. That's all I hear about Greece. Mm. Or actually, I've heard a lot else. But once I hear topless beach, everything else becomes blah 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 <laughs> blah blah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they went on for three hours. Well, what'd you get out of that? Well, they mentioned topless beach, and then there was a bunch of talk about other stuff. I don't know. Good food, good drinks, topless beaches. I don't know. Saw something about a minotaur. I don't know. <laughs> Well, should we move on to the next one? <laughs> Might as well after this steaming pile. <laughs> <laughs> steaming pile of ouzo. All right. I've got the DC, and uh, I thought I was doing a crossover, but it was just brought to my attention. Uh, what the book crosses over with is already a, a Warner Brothers. It's uh, what I'm looking for. Property. Well, property. Well, DC... And 
Warner DC is owned by Warner Brothers. Right, yeah. So I picked in uh, semi Scott Gardner random fashion. I didn't go into a book. I went into a file this time and picked something. I've got Superman and Bugs Bunny number one. Um, cover date July two thousand. I know we're getting close to our, you know, out of the back to the bins range, but I think it's still it's still a good book. It's still fun. Um, price of two fifty. Cover credits are Joe Staten as a penciler, and Tom Palmer and Mike DiCarlo are listed as the inkers. And this information comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it for all the uh, the info that you put out there. And uh, inside, we have uh, <clears throat> Mark Evanier is the writer. Joe Staten, again, is, the, is a penciler. We also have Tom Palmer and Mike DiCarlo listed as the inkers again. Uh, Philip Felix is the letterer. Patricia Mulvihill is the colorist. I think there's a uh, a Jerry Seinfeld joke in there somewhere. Mul- Mulva. Yeah. And any of you is, who watched Jerry Seinfeld will get that. Isn't it Dolores? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, and the editor is Joey Cavalier. And uh, and now I'm going to try to do a tribute, if my voice will hold out, to uh, the late, great Don LaFontaine, the movie trailer guy, as some of you might remember him, and tried to read the opener to this. Uh, and I, here I thought you were going to do Mel Blanc. Oh, I'll do that later when we get to the cartoon characters. Okay. <laughs> there are worlds, and there are worlds, and never the twain should meet. But one day, someplace between here and there, Reality makes a left turn at Albuquerque. This is the story of that day. The day when east meets west, up meets down, day meets night, and the DC superheroes meet the Looney Tunes. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Well played. (laughs) And I didn't cough once. (laughs) Except when you coughed. Except, well, whatever. All right. We we (laughs) begin. We start we start out with two two parallel stories. Uh one is set in Metropolis and we have uh Lois and Clark are investigating reports of a, of a strange airplane that was in, in the vicinity and they believe it possibly to be um the work of the toy man. At the same time, in another parallel universe, which is our second story, an inept hunter is in search of a particular rabbit, and we all know who that's gonna end up being. But anyway, back in the Lois and Clark story, Mr. Mi- Mr. Mixoplick, or Mixidioplick, or however you wish to say it, Jeffrey Taylor usually is very picky about this on the Crisis to Crisis podcast. Uh, but that well, we're not there, so we're going to say it the way we want to. Paul, Jeffrey, can, Jeffrey can feel free to write in to, or send us an MP3 <laughs> with how it's the, pronounced. Especially but, backwards, because I can't do it backwards either. That's a name that I've long since given up trying to pronounce. Yes. <laughs> so, Mr. Mixelplick appears and begins to uh, he begins to grow uh, stores from the ground. And he says he's not going to stop, of course, until uh, uh, Soup gets him to say his name backwards. Uh, Clark returns to one of the one of the mini marts that uh, the imp is set up in. And uh, and of course, it's Sly Clark, Clark Clint uh, 
ser- he serotip- serotipiously, ser- sneakily, stealthily. <laughs> Man, I'm just. I even wrote that word out so I could say it right. Surreptitious. Thank you. I was, I was, man, I was like, oh, an awesome word and I can use it correctly in a sentence and I can't freaking say it. (laughs) Serotipiously. Oh, forget it. If you had said it, no one would have even noticed. It would have just been forgotten already. Now it's something that will be remembered for a while. Anyway, he sneakily writes it on. See, I didn't want to say it like that. He sneakily writes it onto the ingredients of a snack and says, hey, I, I can't read this. Can you re- ch- check this out for me? And uh, he he starts to read it, you know, ferrosulfate, thiamine, mononitrate, sodium, complexal skim, pyrophosphate. What? Poof. And he's gone. <laughs> so he, meanwhile, is uh, poofed back away to the fifth dimension. Um leaving Superman to return back to Lois Lane to search for the mystery plane. And, um, of course, when he disappears, then everything that he had produced disappears also back to the fifth dimension with him. So all the stores go away. So for now, that problem solved. Meanwhile, in the other universe, uh, Elmer, as usual, has had no luck trying to catch, hunt, or shoot Bugs Bunny. Uh, Once cornered, Elmer tries to blast Bugs only to have posies fly out of his shotgun. Uh, this has been the work of the Dodo. Uh, now, I don't remember the Dodo being a Looney Tunes character, was it? Was it was, wasn't it a Popeye character? No, I, I don't think... I'm trying to think Popeye had the goons. Maybe that's what I'm getting Who confused. looked similar to this, but I'm not familiar with this character. I was thinking Popeye also, but I, I think that's the goons from Goon Island. Yeah, I, I don't think it's the Dodo. Okay. Uh, and the, the the Dodo says that he's the last of his kind. He was the Lord High Muckamuck of a place called Wacky Land until it was opened up to condos. He left for greener pastures because people with condos have too many pro- too many other problems to notice his tricks. So, poor Mr. Dodo, I guess, came to the Looney Tunes world, but that world is so strange and... <laughs> Nobody pays any any attention to his tricks either. So he's in search of a new world, but his dimensional transporter isn't working. Uh, Bugs has an idea and goes to the local newsstand and picks up an issue Superman. Inside is a story of Mixoplick, possibly the one we've been reading, which is starting to make my head hurt. Anyway, Bugs gets the dodo to say, Ood, Ood, which is the, the Bugs says that's the publisher of the comic. It gets the dodo to say that backwards, and now his dimensional transporter works. So um, the dodo says goodbye and heads off to a new dimension, while Bugs Bunny uh, casually asks Elmer for his gun and his hat and then begins to hunt Elmer down in a bloodthirsty manner. Uh, now this is where the two stories actually merge, as Mixoplick and the dodo collide between dimensions. After some exposition... The exposition, what a show. The exposition tells us so. The two build a machine that sends Mixoplick to the Looney Tunes dimension, where he meets Foghorn Leghorn. I say, Foghorn Leghorn, and gets a pie in his face for his troubles. This is a joke, son. Pay attention. Dodo pulls Mixoplick out to another time and place in the same dimension, only this time to meet Ductanian. Who is Daffy Duck? 
Don't tell Duffy that he is my favorite character. If we tell him that, his head will just swell. Anyway, where for he ha- he has uh, he has an anvil dropped on his head for his troubles. Um, the dodo again pulls him out to put him into another uh, place, but this time he goes from the frying pan into the fire, or maybe to the dinner plate, as he appears before the Tasmanian devil, who is hungry for imp food, which is low in fat and less filling, and tastes great. So. Finally, the Dodo pulls a screaming Mixie out and back to where he was to begin with. He decides that that the most diabolical thing he can do that is the most fiendish, devious, rotten, sneaky, and malicious evil notion ever, to which the Dodo answers, I think someone already invented talk radio. But he says, no, I'm going to send all of the tunes to, um, excuse me, to the superheroes dimension. So they dial up and we begin to see Porky Sylvester and the others are disappearing little by little and reappearing somewhere else. So we're treated to uh, Porky, you know, eep, I'm I'm vanishing. (laughs) Uh, We've got uh, Sylvester and Tweety fading away. Yosemite Sam doing, of course, his great horny toads line. Someone stole my lower half. So, as they're all being sucked down a energy cone cornucopia thing, uh, we come across Kyle Rayner flying around the moon, and he sees something pop up on the surface, and he is greeted by Martian, uh, <clears throat> Martian, the, Martin, blah, 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 blah. yeah, <laughs> Marvin, Marvin the Martian. Wow, I'm doing Martin. I know it's not Martin. So. Would you like to give us a uh, Martian the, the Martin? Mar- Marvin the Martin? <laughs> <laughs> Marvin the Martian? Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Anytime. Okay. So, uh, of course, he's he has plans to destroy the Earth, and he's getting ready to take out Green Lantern um, for, for finding him. Uh, next, we have the Flash running a beeline through through the desert, and some, somebody sneaks up behind him. And he has no idea what's going on. He stops and turns and goes, what? Only to see Speedy Gonzalez. Arriba, arriba, andale. Lo siento, senor Flash. Speedy Gonzalez coming through. <laughs> see, now, I, I always like the uh, the really slow one. You know, senor Speedy, where are you going? That was that was Slowpoke Rodriguez. The that slow was his name? Yes, <laughs> okay, was... I never knew his name. But, but I always <laughs> enjoy him so much more than, than Speedy. Yeah, there was... Uh, um, Sylvester goes after Slowpoke Rod. Uh, he goes after Slowpoke Rodriguez, and he's like, "Wait, no, Senor, don't go in there!" And you hear, Pow! and then <laughs> Slowpoke comes out. And he's like, "I pack it, gone." <laughs> so poor Sylvester. Speaking of cats, uh, we next have a uh, a midtown apartment. And uh, we see Plastic Man looking up through a window in it saying that, uh, ah, the town's biggest gangster likes cats. He's obviously like a crazy cat lady or cat man or something. He's got like six cats all over him. God knows how many dead cats are in the freezer or something. Who who knows? So Plastic Man decides uh, if he could turn himself into the shape of a cat, and he says this one could give him a hernia, he'll sneak in there and... He'll be able to listen in on all his plans. Now, really, really, a cat wearing a red uh, and yellow jumpsuit? 
That wouldn't be suspicious. And the, and the sunglasses. It, well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Can't forget sunglasses. And, of course, he is instantly accosted by Pepe Le Pew. Ah, uh, mes let me take you away from all of this. Let me take you to the Casbah. No, no, I'm not a cat. <laughs> so before he's raped by a skunk, he turns back <laughs> to a human. <laughs> and Should, shouldn't that be an ad? Like, Pepe Le Pew, no means no. <laughs> <laughs> and like a circle and a line through him. No, no Le Pews. All right, in Gotham City, Batman is perusing... The penguin's hideout. He's holed up in room 407, and this time he'll get the jump on him. He smashes through the window only to find a penguin. Penguins is practically chickens. <laughs> and this this character, I I kept thinking it was Chili Willy, but then I remember no. no, Chili Willy's the other one that always. This is the one that cries ice cubes. Yes, this is the one he wants to go home, and he gets Bugs yeah. Bunny to take him, and Bugs Bunny takes him to the North Pole, and then he sees the ad that says he was the only the only penguin ever born in captivity, and he's from Hoboken. And yeah, so Bugs Bunny's like Hoboken, I'm dying again. <laughs> and then yeah. he, they keep running into Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> and yeah, does he help Bugs fellow like, American who's down on his luck. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here. Go, go, go. <laughs> Beat it, beat it. <laughs> oh, that's a classic. That's a classic. That's one of my favorites. And, and his actual name, I guess, is Playboy Penguin. From from what I looked up, because that's where I was like, wait a minute, I know this isn't Chili Willy, but what's his name? But he is, uh, from everything I found, he's called Playboy, Pe- Playboy Penguin. And then, so Batman goes, the Penguin's holding up the card, and Batman picks up the card and says, the world's only Hoboken-born penguin. <laughs> See? Like I was saying. Exactly. So now uh, we're back to Mixelblick and the Dodo. And he's like, all right, I'm not finished. We're going to swap swap some reality around and replace Superman. Replace replace Superman with whom? Why with him, of course, as he points to the unsuspecting face of Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and he got again. Oh, sorry. So. Now, I'll go out as uh, Mr. The late, great Don LaFontaine. Two universes are now cross-linked and maybe forever. Can things get any worse? Sure they can. Be here for Chapter 2, as a certain Elmer J. Fudd becomes the last son of Quipton. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like this book. It was, it's, it was a breath of fresh air. Last week was kind of... Uh, oppressive and down with Mephisto and violence and evil and souls and trickery. And I just, I was glad I found us. I just wanted some good fun, some good old Looney Tunes laughter. And this is a four issue series. And I unfortunately only seem to have the first three issues. So I'm going to be on the hunt for the fourth one because the fourth one's titled, uh, I believe it was quite, Quices on twins. It's 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 it's, it's goofy. It's goofy. It's got a goofy title. Yeah, I am an easy mark for Looney Tunes. I have to say, it's uh, I you know, Doctor Zeus from our first book would uh, make fun of me for the amount of time I spend in front of my TV watching <laughs> old Looney Tunes and Merry Melody uh, cartoons over the years. But surprisingly, because we discussed them already, I was not familiar with the Dodo Bird. And while you were doing your recap, I looked it up, 
And uh, apparently he was first seen in a 1938 Looney Tunes short, Porky in Wacky Land. Well, you know, they did show in the comic um, on one of the page, go to page, well, I've got, let's see. When he talks about his origin, he references Wacky Land, and it shows him basically stepping on Porky Pig. Um, but, you know, and I figured maybe that was where he, he came from, but I wasn't quite sure, because I just didn't really remember him. Yeah, I, I don't either, and I'm, like I said, I've spent many, many hours watching those cartoons as a kid, so I'm kind of surprised that, that there are any that I haven't seen, but I guess there are. Yeah. Why does Porky Pig want not wear pants? Uh, I don't know. Just asking. <laughs> Why doesn't Daffy, uh, Donald Duck wear pants? Oh, touche. We'll have to ask Scott that. Yeah, Scott's, Scott's that. our resident Disney expert. Put some pants on that duck, for God's sakes. So, but I, I really like this book. Uh, it's, I, I thought in this one in particular, I thought the Joe Staten artwork is perfect for melding these two worlds. Like the the DC stuff doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it's not made to fit the Warner Brothers look, but it doesn't look so realistic that it that it contrasts with it. To a point where it bothers you. Yeah, because when when you know, oh, yeah, I hit too many buttons. Now's the time to play the girl from Ipanipa. There we go. Okay, when you look at Mixoplick, Mixoplick, whatever he is, and um, Notice he had a correct yet, your pronunciation. <laughs> that one. I'm just trying to draw you out into the trap. I want to hear your pronunciation. Not going to happen, my friend. <laughs> um, he does have a cartoon look to him. So later when he goes to the Looney Tunes world, there's not, you know, as drastic. You know, he he blends in with, with the other characters. And even when they start bringing the Looney Tunes characters to this world, they actually gel quite well. There's not, I mean... Oddly enough, it does. It still looks good, like 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 you're saying. The, the the artworks aren't so jarring that you don't have like a like a George Perez Batman holding a a Playboy penguin. <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's like what. It's 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 it, it's a fun book. It's got obviously a lot of the Looney Tunes humor and anvils dropping on people. Um, the Tasmanian Devil trying to eat uh, Mixoplick. <laughs> Tasmanian, Tasmanian devil. See book. Tasmanian devil. Oh wait. Well now, now he's reading a savage creature that eats bats, rats, cats, dogs, frogs, goats, stoats, fleas, bees, shrimps, and imps. Imps low fat. That's feeling. Really- <laughs> <laughs> That's uh. I, I don't know why, but for some reason, my favorite Tasmanian devil thing is uh. I don't remember exactly how it happens, but. Bugs Bunny like digs a hole and get or gets him to dig a hole, and then while he's in there, he pushes a little dirt on top of him and sl- you know taps it, tamps it down, mm-hmm. and somehow you know the Tasmanian gets devil gets out and he comes up behind him and taps him on the shoulder and just very cl- calmly says, "Why you bury me in cold, <laughs> cold ground? Yeah, what for you? <laughs> what for you bury me in cold, cold ground? I don't know why, but that that happens. To, that's my favorite moment of his." Nah, Doc, I'm not a rabbit. You got powder puff tail like rabbit. 
oh, I'm a duck. <laughs> he puts on like the bathing cap, <laughs> the thing on, and then like the Tasmanian devil writes ducks in the book. Ducks. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But I, this was a good book you chose. I I, I like this one. It's uh, it's our it's our DC and our independent all in one. Kind of, yeah. And, and uh, it's just a fun book, and that's that's what these are supposed to be. Ah, uh, good old Foghorn Leghorn. Who I say? Who are you, boy? <laughs> Listen to me when I'm talking to you, <laughs> Mister Mixoplick. To you, that's not <laughs> that's not a name. It's a bad hand at Scrabble. Scrabble that is. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me, son. Spare yourself. Change it. Spare. Change. It's a joke, son. And no, I don't have any. <laughs> oh, Foghorn Leghorn. Him and the dog. Oh, let's, let's not get into the chicken hawk, too. We'll, we'll be here all night. <laughs> all right, that's so, it. Yeah, without going into my very bad Looney Tunes imitations, I don't think I have a lot more to give you on this one. <laughs> no, no, that's good. So, well, I guess we've got a. I guess this is going to be a short one tonight. I mean, well, we uh, only did two books, so yeah, two books, two emails. Yep. If, if so, we had Scott here, we could have made it go longer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? We're we're kind of e- even out because last week we had four people. Uh, so this week we have two, so we're still maintaining an average of three. <laughs> there you go. So we could just look at it that way. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, you know, because I, w- I want to keep it kind of an open door if, you know, like say Scott and Mike are both available. So I'm trying to think, if we have four of us, should we do what we did last week and do three books and just have somebody kind of along for the ride? Or should we do a fourth book? And if so, what should we do? Uh, should it be well, you know dealer's choice? The fourth guy just gets to pick anything he feels like doing, or should it be you know? I, I started thinking you know maybe the fourth book could be something recent, since we're you know the other three are all older books. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could go with, with the with the newer one, but we still have to think about time. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we've been we've been pretty yeah. good as far as time goes lately. I don't think uh, you know. So if we have four of us and we go an hour and a half instead of an hour and 15? Yeah. I think we'd still be okay. So. Of course, that's me. Scott may uh, may not agree. Crack the whip. It's a tough taskmaster, that one. Who's not here? Ah, ah, the kids are, the inmates are in charge of the asylum. Woo-hoo, Let's no do a five-hour show. <laughs> We're going to go in-depth every appearance of the dodo bird. <laughs> I think, I, as far as I could tell from when I looked it up, I, I can only find that one. Yeah, you bombarded me with links. I, I can't even read them all. That was oh, the, yeah, there it is. That was the yo, name yo, of the show, Go Longer. Yo, yo, dodo, go, go, dodo. You're just making this stuff up. Yeah, I, I, I sat and I drew it and created a wiki page for it. <laughs> you are so fast. I am. And there's the Playboy that's what she Pink. Said. <laughs> and I think that's where we're going out. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.